1: Hello and welcome back to the Statman Dave Football Podcast. This is episode 55. Once again, I'm joined by Nico Morales. First up, we're going to talk about your reviews on iTunes. Oh no, wait, you haven't sent any in. Nico, how disappointed are you with the you know with the, the listeners?
2: Incredibly disappointed with you guys. I mean, this is what we need to, to keep us going. Every time you don't review, um, Dave and I starve a little bit more. So just get those reviews in. I want to eat.
1: as simple as that, you know? Make us laugh.
2: Like... Haha, <laughs> your
1: podcast is rubbish. Five stars. You know That, that would provide me with a little bit of humour and keep me going through the week, so make sure you get your reviews in on iTunes. Anyway, on today's episode, apart from the ranting and the raving about not rev- not reviewing the podcast on iTunes, we're going to talk the news, then we're going to talk the Manchester Derby, then we're going to talk the coach of the season so far, and finish off with a little bit of a Q&A. Well, it's not really a little Q&A, it's a pretty big Q&A. Lots of Manchester City questions, Liverpool questions, player questions... All sorts of fun. But anyway, first up, let's do the news. Mourinho has said in his press conference before the uh, Swansea game that he may be needed at centre-back to cover for United's injury crisis. Again, Eric Bay starting what seems to be the 5,000th game in the last two weeks. Looks a little bit tired. So Mourinho uh, saying that him and Tuinzebi may um, come together for the game against Swansea City. Nico, what do you reckon about Tuinzebi and Mourinho? Do you reckon that's enough to keep out Fernando Llorente?
2: Yeah, I think physically, someone like Mourinho could, could possibly uh, challenge the the likes of Llorente um, in the aerial battles. But, uh, you know, I'd, I'd really like to see him just absolutely get destroyed by Fernando Llorente in real life. So I'm looking forward to the game.
1: It'll be all about the mental game, though, right? It'll all be about Mourinho just getting into Llorente's head for the entire 90 minutes. I reckon Llorente may never play professional football again after dealing with Mourinho for 90 <laughs> minutes. Imagine that'd be horrible. <laughs> just constant yapping. and
2: He and, would just be insulting your mother. the Exactly, entire
1: time. like crushing you. <laughs> You know, basically, Lorente's headbutting Mourinho before the end of the game. It's going to be like your Matarazzi zidane situation all over. Man United win two 0 because Lorente got sent off, um, and Mourinho had, you know, could go back to the bench and sub himself off. But anyway, in other news, apparently there's been a, an agreement between David de Gea and Real Madrid, um, the transfer of the summer. Interesting, that seems to be missing a key party though. Manchester United but apparently the deal from whatever paper this time I think it's Marca, the Spanish paper writing this rubbish around 75 million euros which doesn't seem quite enough for David De Gea he's one of the best goalkeepers in world football in other news Bayern Munich have extended the contract of Thiago that's following the signing of of course Kingsley Coman Nico what's your take on these two uh, contract uh, sort of extensions very exciting for Juve right
2: uh, for Juventus um, Or Bayern Munich, I think.
1: For Bayern Munich. (laughs)
2: Um, Yeah, no, I I think. Kingsley Coman is someone that, that could really grow and, and do big things at Bayern Munich as well as you know Tiago Alcantara who's obviously already done big things at Bayern Munich and probably will continue to do so you know I hope you know he's one of those players that I think they can continue to build around accentuate his best qualities and hopefully win a European trophy because I think if anyone deserves it um, if anyone's evolved his game to, to suit his, his aging body or, or injuries and, and big injuries it's it's Tiago and um, you know I'd really watch out for him going forward
1: Hmm. I did uh, say Juve because I was just thinking about the profit Juve have made on both Pogba and Kingsley Coman around £133 considering they signed them both on free transfers Coman coming from PSG and of course Pogba coming from Manchester United that is incredible business and it's yeah, the they've
2: essentially uh, ripped off uh, United, right? They,
1: they have, yeah. They've ripped off United <laughs> and they've ripped off Bayern Munich. You know? What more would you want in a transfer? <laughs> in other news, Leon have rejected a €5 million euro offer from Red Bull Salzburg, or RB Salzburg, sorry, for 15-year-old forward, William Gubles. That's pretty incredible, Nico. That's nuts. €5 million for a 15-year-old.
2: Um, I was worth €10 million at 15.
1: Ah, so. I see. And then your price dropped like Freddie Adu. And now you're unfortunately, yeah, uh, you know, got no club and you're sitting I'm, I'm,
2: I'm, uh, sitting I'm worth home. nothing. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm worth nothing sitting in my underwear talking to you, so I guess life is pretty bad.
1: Yeah, you're pretty pretty good, you mean? Because I'm also, you know, in a similar thing, sitting in my room, chilling out in my, um, not underwear, but my, uh, what's it called? Like the pajama bottoms, as a very English way to say it. I, but I'm, this-
2: I'm joking, Dave. I, I always have pants on when I record a uh, podcast, unlike you.
1: That's a fucking lie. That is a fucking lie. <laughs> In other news obviously with the Red Bull Salzburg just lifting the um, UEFA Youth Cup It's quite interesting that they are going for these other young players And it could be like a you know dynasty they are trying to bring over in Salzburg But will eventually probably be playing in Leipzig But anyway let's move on In final little bit of news uh, Swansea City legend Lee Trundle came out of retirement in August To sign for Welsh Football League Division 2 side Llanelli Town Since then the 40 year old has scored 45 goals in just 26 games Including 8 hat-tricks in helping Lineth Lee win promotion. Incredible stuff from Lee Trundle. But anyway, let's move on to the big topic of discussion and that is the Manchester derby. An absolute banger of the game. Manchester City nil, Manchester United nil. There was more to the game than that. Obviously the big talking point, of course, the Marouane Fellaini red card. For me, it was a stupid move from Fellaini to headbutt Aguero. But the Argentinian has got to play a little bit of a part in, in the, uh, the altercation. Nico, what was your take on it?
2: Incredibly dumb move by Fellaini. I mean, yeah, and Guero, Aguero ag- engaged a little bit in the dark arts in some sense. You know, people are going to talk about that all day. But, it, you know, you have to think about it in the context of being a professional footballer. You know, it, it's, it's um, I guess, not necessary. But um, I guess Aguero would want someone like Fellaini to get sent off. And, and not only does, does Fellaini get a yellow card for a yellow card challenge, five seconds before but then he, he commits another foul five seconds after so it's kind of stupid and then he kind of plays into a gross hand so you know I get it, it, it he was certainly playing the dark arts and being a little bit of a dive um, but at the same time Fellaini played right into his hands it's kind of a stupid thing and if you're a professional footballer you kind of have to have your head on and say you know I'm not going to fall for that I'm not going to get turned on by by or, or or played by this person that's obviously trying to get me sent off so I think it's a very stupid move by, by Fellaini.
1: Mm, yeah, I can't really slam Aguero to be quite honest because I love a bit of gamesmanship and unfortunately it was some top quality gamesmanship from Aguero winding him up and as soon as Fellaini's head went towards Aguero's head it's simple but it is, you know, he did play him, and unfortunately, Marouane Fellaini got played. And I thought he had a, a pretty decent game, um, you know, up until that point. I thought he was quite aggressive in the tackle, and was causing City a bit of problems um, with his ability to win the ball back. But again, it was just a bit stupid. And unfortunately, United fans already don't like Marouane Fellaini, and this is just going to be another, you know, chink in Marouane Fellaini's armour. So unfortunately, the tide will potentially turn for Marouane Fellaini. But I think he's done all right this season. I think he's, you know, this is his first red card of the season. I think he's, uh, you know not had the worst year I think tactically he's been quite good been a good weapon for Mourinho whether using him as a sort of attacking midfield target man or using him deep midfield to break up I think Fellaini's done okay to be quite honest but again um you know if you ask any other United fan they'll be Fellaini's rubbish he cost us the derby and so forth but in fact United I think
2: it's um draw. if I if I can just speak to that I think it's one of those things where physical appearance plays massively into our perception of players so um and Mar- Fellaini to be quite honest like his physical appearance he looks like a bit of an idiot and since he hasn't necessarily covered himself in glory especially in his time at United you know he looks like a big tree he looks like a big dumb tree and though he's a very good player like you can use him in a variety of situations tactically both defensively and offensively you know helping your attacking players bring down long balls and being aggressive in the tackle like you mentioned and tactically I think he did a lot of the things that Mourinho wanted him to do in this game and being a central midfielder but he he has the physical perception of someone that isn't very intelligent and I think United fans and people have really jumped onto that.
1: Yeah, I can kind of agree. It's quite interesting imagine if Marouane Fellaini was short and technical and covered the similar amount of ground with a similar aggression. I imagine we'd all say he was the next Gratuso, but unfortunately, because of his height, like you say, Nico, a very solid point there that he kind of is regarded as this clumsy idiot. I, I still like him. I still think he's an asset, so the squad I still would keep him in the summer. Um, I don't think there's any point in letting someone like Marouane Fellaini go because you can use him as a weapon in certain situations. It's obviously sad that uh, Timothy fosu picked up a dislocated shoulder at the end of the game because it would have been a great opportunity to see him either at centre-half or, uh, of course, uh, in central midfield. I thought he played quite well against City when it came on, uh, showed energy and uh, you know, saw the game out for Manchester United. But the interesting tactical point, as I mentioned on my three-point um, review of the game, was about Mkhitaryan's use through the middle in the first ten minutes of the game. Nico, were you surprised by that uh, move from Mourinho?
2: I think it was a positive move. But then, as you mentioned, you know, he moved him out wide. And, and that's not really something that you want to do with someone like Mkhitaryan. When you have someone that's as, as talented as someone like Mkhitaryan with his dribbling ability, with his passing ability, and really his is the, the way that you're able to to use him in a counter attacking system, you want that player to be central because then they have the the most amount of options because he can make an excellent pass on either side of him. He can ma- he can go on a dribbling run and has the options to go pretty much anywhere he wants. Shifting him to a particular side limits his creativity and on the counter attack, which is something that you know Mourinho and Manchester United sought to do against the Manchester City, you limited his his ability to do so. So I thought it was a good move initially, like you said, but you know the the evolution of that that um, Wasn't probably the right thing to do.
1: No, yeah, it's kind of like United's attack was. You know, has been geared on Paul Pogba, linking it in that final third, and with Mkhitaryan could have taken that role. For United, you know, drawing and uh, you know City inside, you know, spinning them. I think the big thing with City, they defended against Marcus Rashford very well. They were very physical with him, which is an approach that other teams may adopt after seeing the success of both Ings and Company and Otamendi, who had relatively good games. Obviously, Otamendi got a beat a few times. thought Company was pretty solid throughout the whole uh, the whole game. But again, it's this interesting one from Mourinho, seemed to get it so right, but then seemed to change it, which was which was a little bit weird. Like I don't understand tactically why you try something for just ten minutes and it kind of looked like it's coming off, and it looked like it is, you know, causing City a bit of problems centrally, but as well. Wide, you know the other thing as well. It sort of meant that both um, the two wide players, Anthony Martial and Rashford, could stay up high up the pitch, which meant City couldn't attack with their fullbacks. You know, you're killing half of City's attack if you stop their fullbacks. We're killing half of Pep Guardiola's game plan. Um, but again, it was it was just weird that he, that he went away from that sort of tactical experiment that looked like it was going the right way whether United do try that in bigger games with Paul Pogba could be quite interesting because imagine Paul Pogba counter-attacking with a false nine ahead of him you can play passes off he can run ahead of and then you've got that you know the pace and the, the finishing ability out wide of both Rashford and Mikatarian. sorry Rashford and Martial could be a really good weapon for United but again it was weird from Mourinho he's done some real good things tactical this season but that was just one that worked and then he stopped doing it so not too sure about that, but anyway, moving on to Manchester City's weapons in attack, it was all about Kevin De Bruyne and him finding himself space. But the big thing that we were sort of discussing pre-podcast was was he right to drift to the left-hand side? And arguably could have he have attacked the space behind Maron Flane. Maron Flaney was probably the most advanced of Manchester United's midfield triangle on, you know, sort of left tilted. And there was space to behind him to the left of Michael Carrick. Instead City were attacking down the other side, the left-hand side, where you had Ander Herrera. And whenever um, KDB drifted to that side United just passed him on so if he was central it'd be, Car- it'd be uh, Carrick and if it was on towards that left hand side it'd be just Herrera picking up and we've seen the great job Herrera did on um, Eden Hazard Nika, was it the right move for KDB to, to, to play on that side or do you reckon on the other side he would have got better results?
2: I think, yeah, he might have uh, gotten a little bit better results in terms of receiving the ball on the opposite side of sort of the, the I guess, the the zone in front of the box. Um, but also, I think that was partially by design for Manchester United. You know, they did a very good job of limiting passes from that crucial zone 14 Um, And that's really an area where where someone like David Silva was missed. But I think also, you know, receiving the ball on the left hand side of the field in terms of a Manchester City perspective and then uh, crossing that ball into the right or or trying to put someone like Raheem Sterling or or Leroy Sané through was the idea. It just didn't necessarily come off another thing that Manchester City really tried to do was overload that right hand side that's something that we consistently see from Pep Guardiola is um you know trying to shift that defensive lock trying to stretch that uh defensive footprint horizontally um by overloading or underloading certain parts of the pitch they consistently overloaded the right hand side in the first hand in the first half and tried to send it to an on-running Leroy Sané but unfortunately the passing specifically from Yaya Toure, wasn't um fast enough or, or good enough but uh you know those are some of the things that that manchester city did well as well as um you know we, the manchester united formation defensively in order to to sort of block the juega la position that that Cap tried to play was a 5-4-1 at times, um, and it was staggered, which is what you want to, to stop those central midfielders that can make an influence offensively um, going forward. And I thought the center backs did a pretty good job of breaking those lines uh, with their passes. Um, so, yeah, those are just some of the things that I think Manchester City did well.
1: It was quite interesting. Whenever, like, whenever I thought, whenever KDB has been dangerous for City this season, he has kind of drifted right. You think of the, the um, you know, the chance that he created for Agüero, capitalising on a pretty dodgy uh, headed clearance from Eric Bay, then he whipped the ball in with his with his right peg, and Agüero hit the post. Obviously, that was the only moment that I thought Eric Bay uh, made a made a sort of step wrong in the game. I thought he was absolutely fantastic for Manchester United, but we'll touch on him a little bit later on. But it is interesting, you know, if you do look at the both the heat maps um, of Kevin De Bruyne, it's very left sided, but also on the uh, you know the passes that he received, all on that left hand side. I just wonder if. You know, if a more counter-attacking manager was managing Manchester City, could have evaluated that issue to hit um, United down that side. Obviously, it's a different thing. Manchester City have their own style of football and their own philosophies with Pep Guardiola. But it will be interesting to see whether you know Pep can get the best out of Kevin De Bruyne. Can he get him up to the heights at, at Wolfsburg where he was playing this real free role? And does that suit um, Guardiola's style of play? Probably not. You know, could be interesting. Just want to touch on the um, concept also we spoke about before podcast and it's one of the things that I asked you. Do you feel that this concept of playing two eights in Silva and Kevin De Bruyne will work for Manchester City if they do go back to that shape?
2: I think it will. Ultimately, someone like David Silva will be replaced by a similar player that will look to make those sort of reverse passes and very, I guess, slide drill passes, if I can use that adjective correctly. Um, but I think when you have the two free eights, um, Xavi and Aniesto were very similar in their passing ability because they had a very complete range of passing. The two free eights in the three two five system, which uh, I, I think is the system that Pep Guardiola will ultimately try to play more consistently uh, next year. And as he moves on with this Manchester City team, um, you have the best kind of delivery when it comes to having those having both of those players in the team at the same time you have uh, more direct uh longer delivery dangerous delivery aerially and both on the ground um, from someone like Kevin De Bruyne from wider areas who can move into those positions by pivoting off the inverted fullback or an overlapping fullback um, and then you have the very sort of reverse uh you know subtle little passes from David Silva and I think When you use both of those players and you can use them correctly as long as well uh, as the other weapons in that system, you know, the wide players in Raheem Sterling and Leroy Sané, you have a very, very potent attack. And that's something that we've seen on and off this season for Manchester City, obviously, at the beginning of the season when they won 10 games on the bounce and then against Monaco in that thrilling, uh, you know, goal fest that that... that, (laughs) That that was oh, ultimately um,
1: saw Man City's exit from the Champions League this <laughs> yeah,
2: year. Yeah, there, there's a there's a few t- tweaks that we need to work out, but I think um you know, I, I think it can be utilized to the to, to both players' strengths and I think it's something that um can work going forward.
1: I'm completely against that sort of uh, idea at Manchester City. I think defensively, both Silva and De Bruyne, I don't think they give you enough. And unfortunately, I don't think you can play them together. I think, again, I've said it before, you need to go one or the other. And it is whether you go for David Silva's guile, which sort of suits him, and you sell Kevin De Bruyne, which could be a real option. Uh, You know, think of Kevin De Bruyne at Bayern Munich. That'd be pretty sweet. But anyway, yeah. stop thinking about things that'd be cool in football Dave uh, back to the point yeah in, in terms of you know we did, you did mention Xavi and Iniesta they both put in a really good defensive shift as well as an attacking shift and defensively were really really good in terms of their pressing and their understanding of how to press obviously coming through the Barca Academy with Silver and with um, KDB it's not really a natural thing so potentially it could work with City that with Gundogan hopefully coming back and being, and being fit again for Pep Guardiola's side do you think that signing another central midfielder instead of Silva or instead of De Bruyne or even selling De Bruyne and keeping Silva what would you sort of what would be your transfer strategy going forward
2: by far and away, I think so. And if you were to have to choose between any of those players, I think keeping someone like Kevin De Bruyne, not only because he's an excellent player, um, but because he's younger, is the option. David Silva's getting up there in age. I believe he's 31 years old already. Um, and it sort of speaks to that, once again, a consistent pl- problem with Manchester City is sort of their inability to replace the players that you know have been key to the team before they need replacing. That's what you want to do. That's one of the things that you, people outline in a lot of uh, managerial books is that, you should replace your best players before they absolutely need replacing. So, having a, a midfielder uh, similar to David Silva is probably the idea for Manchester City. But I actually think, you know, a midfield that maybe excludes David Silva, and you're talking about the two free eights, and maybe someone like Ilkay Ginduan, who's maybe a little bit more defensively uh, oriented with De Bruyne, can really work because. You know, Ilkay Gundogan's a very complete midfielder and then maybe a more defensively minded midfielder like the likes of William Carvalho, which I did a video on the front three a while ago, um, would be an excellent purchase because I think he's a little bit more mobile and, and would fit the Touré role or the the role that Touré occupies very well right now.
1: I yeah, completely agree with the, the William Carvalho. If City do get William Carvalho, obviously he apparently... Pep Guardiola's brother is now Carvalho's agent so it looks like it's probably on a wonderful player very good at holding midfield on his own and that's what City have lacked uh, a sort of a sole holding midfielder that can run the show from midfield but also can break up the play very physical very good at uh, getting out of pressing situations so if they sign Carvalho that's a big big danger to other Premier League sides I'd also kind of argue that you know maybe moving on from KDB and putting KDB out wide or putting KDB as more of an attacker may suit this city side and something getting someone like isco in would be perfect you know watching isco in the last few weeks he'd be the perfect guy for guardiola honestly in terms of how he can link with fullbacks in terms of his ability on the ball basically similar to iniesta so similar to iniesta in his playing style and his close control and his his vision and so forth but you know i actually think
2: the 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 aired iniesta's thrown i was asked this by uh, someone on twitter a few weeks ago um the the player that I see most similar to, to Iniesta's play style in terms of overall is uh, Marco Verratti. Uh, I think he's uh, he, he reminds me so much of Iniesta when I see him play.
1: I think so. Yeah, I think the only thing that Isco has that Verratti doesn't have is that ability to hit a shot and hit a shot very, very well. We've seen him score some absolute bangers for Real Madrid in the last few weeks. So again, I just think it'd be perfect for City, perfect for Guardiola uh, in this system. But it would mean where's Silva going? Where's KDB going? Obviously, I don't think these players are going to leave. This is the thing. I think KDB and Silva will stay. But I feel like it just creates a problem for Pep Guardiola. that He's had for his whole tenure at City, and he needs to decide what he wants to do. And unfortunately, until he does that, City aren't going to win the Premier League. But it's it's all interesting chat. Uh, moving on to our final... Uh, a little bit uh, let's talk about the sort of Manchester City press because I was quite impressed by it. it wasn't aggressive but it was aggressive in the right areas when United looked for the balls up the pitch and they usually received it with their back to goal and then City put the press on and United struggled to find the sort of diagonal pass Pep Guardiola always speaks about diagonal passes you know playing it uh, not being on the same lines of the pitch so when you receive the ball you've got your head up and you're playing forward Man United consistently received the ball with their back to goal and it was something that City did very very well and they swarm United usually turn the ball over or they force united into playing a backwards pass united went long they returned the ball what sort of change with the city press because it has been sort of um slapped off at the start of the season but it's starting to see a little bit of um you know work been put into it and some results
2: yeah i think at the beginning of the season that's that's a problem that manchester city have faced like i said with so many older players we see almost overperformance in the first 10 or 15 games and then you know as those legs start to wear and then that bit of uh, age creeps in you know you see a little bit of underperformance for a while there and um that's that's one of the tactics that I think Pep Guardiola first introduced to this Manchester City team is the counter press the ob- objective of that being like since Manchester City often have so many players forward um in order to mitigate risk and eliminate the possibility of or try to eliminate the possibility of being countered on directly um when you lose the ball, the first thing that you should do is the nearest players should go to the ball, and the primary objective of that is to either, or the primary objective is to force the first pass that the opposition is making backwards, so as not, you know, to, to isolate your the defenders that are back or have uh, an up. Op- you know an opposition attacker running through on goal um i think throughout the season we've seen the evolution of that go from very aggressive um to aggressive in 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 the sense that it fatigued the players towards the end of the match uh which left us open um in, in certain instances and and now it's a little bit more reserved it's you know the players are making better pressing decisions in terms of when to go so as not to overexert themselves both physically um and also like Sometimes you just need to run back. There isn't a necessity for a press. Um, so I think we've seen the evolution of that uh, so far, and I think we'll continue to see it going forward. And hopefully, it can become effective enough in the Premier League um, to where that can be a, a viable tactic. I, I had an interesting conversation with someone um, yesterday talking about how, where you know, in Spain, Italy, France, and other other leagues, e- e- England of those leagues is probably the the league that seeks to put or is okay with putting um, 10 men behind the ball or even 11 men behind the ball and is very comfortable with that. And I think counter-pressing and these sort of tactics uh, are very susceptible to to pure counter-attacking. So hopefully we can see Pep Guardiola continue to uh, evolve that tactic and make it a real viable one for City going forward.
1: Mm, I think it's all about control, isn't it? That's what Pep Guardiola has always wanted and always will want. Uh, but anyway, let's move on to our last little point uh, about the Manchester derby. Let's just wrap this up. We've been talking for 22 minutes of glory on the Manchester derby. This is exciting. Well, Manchester United have uh, conceded the fewest goals in the Premier League in 2017, and I think some of the you know the credit to that has got to be going to Eric Bailly, whose form has been brilliant this season. He's been United's best defender by a country mile. In terms of his um, at the derby, what, what I liked so much was his composure in the penalty area. He kept on being the one that would City would break down the left. They put a ball into the box, and he would just take a fantastic first touch and either play out or look to clear the ball. His ability to read the game, both um, you know in front of the defence and behind the defence, is really, really, really impressive for a young player. And I like his passing. He's sort of the you know for me, he seems like the perfect Guardiola centre back. But also, um, you know, we have him in, in uh, over at United. Nico, how, how impressed have you been with, with Bay? You know, I, I saw a bit of him last season for Real, especially the game against Liverpool in the Europa League he looked like a solid defender I think I watched him against uh, Real Madrid as well where in fact he played right back and was very very good but he has gone massively above expectations how impressed are you
2: Nico? He's an excellent defender Um, and like you said he's a very good reader of the game he's athletic I think he's everything that you you want in a player he's uh, Mangala with brains essentially so um, you know he's level-headed he's young I think he has a very, very, very bright future, uh, no matter the club he's at, whether he be United or elsewhere. Um you know, as you and I were talking pre record, level headedness is one of the big things. All the commentators were speaking about during the Chelsea United game about how you know Diego Costa could wind him up. He was fine. He didn't care. He didn't care what he was doing, he just read the game well and did his job. So he's a very, very good defender and I'm jealous that you guys have him. <laughs>
1: Anyway, let's finish that off with a Manchester derby chat. Uh, just leaving an, on the Premier League table at the moment, it is advantage for the Manchester clubs, quite frankly, you know, with Liverpool uh, having played a game extra on 66 points, Manchester City on 65 points, and of course United on 64 points. Arsenal in sixth position with two games in hand on 60 points, so Arsenal could go up to 66, Man United 67, and Manchester 66. 66- Manchester City, 68, that was difficult to say, uh, which is going to lead to a, such a crack in the last four games of the Premier League season. United going to have to play Tottenham and play Arsenal. Huge games for United. But at the moment, I feel like Mourinho's getting it right against these big games and he's starting to show his tactical signs. And if United could start to get this counter-attack together, that's all they need to do. They're going to start beating these guys. I think that's the, the small differences. You know, we saw Claudio Bravo flap. If United could have turned that in, they would have seen the game out. And it's, it's those small mileage, But also, Aguero hitting the post. Um, you know, th- this is what football is. But it's a fantastic league that we've-
0: Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank.
1: This season. Anyway, moving on to um, what we're going to talk about next. It's all basically based on the, the keep uh, did a article this week, which basically said they who they think the best coach in the world. So this isn't this season. This is just who are the best coaches in the world right now. So the list is quite interesting. They've got Pep Guardiola at number one, Conte number two, Simeone number three, Ancelotti four, Mourinho five, Allegri six Joachim low 7, Zidane 8, Yardim 9 and of course Jurgen Klopp in number 10. Is there any players in that top 10, Nico, that you think shouldn't be there or is there any managers that should be in there that aren't?
2: Uh, I, I don't necessarily agree with you know Pep Guardiola, be, Pep Guardiola being number one. Um, I think you and I have also agreed Antonio Conte being number two isn't necessarily the the, the yeah. you know the, the, the wisest decision also Carlo Ancelotti you know Allegri's sixth and he should be farther up there you've even spoken about Jardim you think he's be farther up there, there there's a lot of it's, it's a 50 it's a 50 man list and there are a lot of good managers in that but I think there some of them are a little bit undervalued so you know I ha- I have some adjustments but um, I'm curious to hear your thoughts as well
1: yeah it's quite interesting of course they're saying the best 50, the top 50 active managers. That's what it translate on Google Translate. Of course, Google Translate, what a wicked tool that is. Basically, can read French now, can't we, Nico? Uh, but yeah, anyway, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd say Simeone has got to be... I'd, I'd honestly say, say Simeone's probably either one or two Ancelotti's got to be up there but Zidane's been doing an absolutely fantastic job since taking over at Real Madrid managing who could be the first guy ever to win back-to-back Champions Leagues I think that's the kind of problem with these lists is that it is during the season surely these lists should be put out after the season but maybe that doesn't get the clicks that they do want but anyway we're going to give our awards like we gave Marcelo the best player in Europe last, uh, was that Monday Nico?
2: I think so yeah it was on Monday
1: Feels like an absolute age ago. God, I'm getting old. <laughs> um, we gave uh, obviously we gave uh, yeah, like I mentioned, uh, Marcelo was the Nico and Dave player of the season so far, and we gave Mbappe the young player of the season. We're gonna do again that with managers. So Nico, who is your coach of the year and why?
2: I think of these coaches, the most deserving. Is probably Allegri to be number one. Um, I've written an article on him. If you guys want to go check it out, it's on my Twitter. But I think his is the things that he's done with Juventus, especially after someone like Conte left. So people saw. Juventus and their evolution sort of reach a peak with, with Juventus. You know, they had been serial winners of Serie A. It was a foregone conclusion that they were winning that league. But one thing that he was never able to do was succeed in European competition. Um, and Allegri's come in, lost key players like Paul Pogba, like Vidal, like Pirlo, like, you know, Carlos Tevez, and made that team better. They've gotten to a Champions League final. They've consistently kept their dominance within Italy. and And that's you know, to say that Napoli, Roma, Inter, AC Milan have all received competitive financial backing in that time, or improved their play, or both, and he's still keeping Juventus amongst the elite and, and doing much better than Conte ever did with them in Europe. So, you know, not enough can be said about the the job that Allegri's done at Juventus, and for me, that's why I think he he deserves to be coach of the year.
1: No, I no, no, can't N- not agree with all the points that you made Um, you know in terms of Juve they're fantastic and I, I was talking them up you know, two to three games in the season when Allegri was trying loads of different systems. I think that's the beauty of Allegri He's a tinker man. He is what people thought Ranieri was. He tries all these different systems. This season, they've played, I think they've played maybe four to five systems. They've played this 4 4 2 that is a 4 2 3 1. They've also played a 4 3 3. They've played a narrow 4 3 2 1 where he tried Pjanic and Dabala off of Gonzalo e Guain He's played a diamond. He's played a 3 5 2. played a 3 6 1. I think that's the beauty of what Allegri does is that tactically, he's so diverse. But it, what's so impressive is that his team so easily can transition from playing through at the back system to a uh, four at the back system to three men in midfield, to two men in midfield and still be so effective. And that's the beauty of this Juventus team. And
2: and, and I think, you know, you and I have spoken to this and I think we've spoken off off recording like about um, Carlo Ancelotti's thesis when he was at the Italian coaching school, which is he saw the future of football being fluidity, being dynamic. And that's exactly what, Allegri is he's a, he's essentially you know fluidly pragmatic and I think that's what's so great about him like you said is his ability to transition between whatever system is best for that situation
1: but also I think the, the underrated thing with Ancelotti as well is that not Ancelotti sorry the underrated thing with Allegri is, is you know the football is very very good that they play it's very very good football it's good to watch they move the ball quickly when they need to they attack with wit. they attack with um you know they can counter attack with quadrado de Higuain, they can slow a game down. They're the most, they're the most um, tactically different side like, that can have many faces. It's almost like a Medusa mask, if that's the correct thing, how to say that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, there's got many faces, that has this 50 faces that can do one thing, can do the other. And I think it is all about Allegri and how he's moved this Juve team on from Conte's side. It's just fantastic. And this season we're seeing the best. The only thing that I'd say why my candidate deserves it over Allegri is just because... Yes, he lost Paul Pogba, but they did get the best central midfielder in Serie A last season, which was Pjanic from Roma, and they also signed Gonzalo Higuain. So he's got goals and he's got midfield playmaking, which I'd argue that... Yardim at Monaco. Yes, they've bought some players, some young players that have got supreme talent, um, but he's moulded this side. It's taken him three years, but now these guys are scoring for fun. Defensively, they're very, very good. They're awesome on the counter-attack and they are great to watch. And that's why I'd give it to Yardim right now. You know, this is before the Champions League final. You know, this was probably going to go to a Madrid manager, either Simeone or Zidane, because I feel that both those they, sides are going to win. They've just,
2: they've just lost 5-0 to PSG but in the Coupe France.
1: <laughs> I also think that's good management because... If you're going back to the argument that they've played 56 games this season already, Mm -hmm. he needs to balance this squad. If he continually plays these guys week in, week out he's not going to get to the Champions League final, and that is obviously his ultimate aim, that is the ultimate aim of any manager in world football, or it should be, and if he can pick up Ligue 1, as well as getting to it, he's already at a Champions League semi-final, that's already awesome, that's already the best France have done um, in the Champions League for a number of seasons now, you think of how PSG have flocked with all their millions, how impressive it's what Yardim's done with the likes of Bernardo Silva and Mbappe, Lamar, I think it's the development of these players as well, I think Allegri tactically has made these players so diverse, but Yardim's got to have a lot of credit for the development of some of these players that are now getting touted around at like 6 60, 70 million and you know the, the former Falcao as well I always thought Falcao would be a good player in the Premier League you know the styles of football didn't suit him didn't suit him at Mourinho not enough chances that Mourinho created at a Chelsea team when Chelsea were on the down under Louis van Gaal again not enough chances Falcao's at his best when people are crossing the ball to him that's exactly what Yardim's doing it's simple as that you put the ball in the box to Falcao he's going to score and I just feel that how he's beaten Manchester City, how he's beat Borussia Dortmund, how he's sort of done PSG in the league. It's, it's very impressive for a young manager and a young manager with a young squad. Nico, have I convinced you that Yardim is the coach of the year or are we going to have to split this goddamn trophy?
2: You're going to have to split it. Oh. I don't think <laughs> so
1: Unbelievable. I invite you on my podcast and you make me split my own trophy.
2: <laughs> it's true
1: it's our trophy and it's not getting sent out to the end of the year so hopefully we'll be able to be in agreement when Monaco lift the Champions League (laughs) <laughs> In terms of other shots obviously Zidane and Simeone both been very impressive. Probably more been impressed by Zidane this season. I kind of been, you know I've been undressing their tactics a little bit more. Uh, Simeone did start tactically trying other things at the start of the season. Looked at a four two four with wingers, didn't quite work, and now he's gone back to the four four two slash the four three three that he played last season. In terms of the Rookie of the Year, Nico, it's pretty simple, right? There's one man that's got to be Rookie of the Year, twenty nine year old
2: Julian Nagelsmann, excellent, excellent, excellent manager
1: simple as that really it's just what he's done with the Hoffenheim team turning a player you know turning a number of players from young players to super sort of superstars what he's
2: done with Rudi Nicholas Schuler uh, demo Ba in central midfield uh, Kramerich it's it's if if you folks can get a chance to watch Julian Nagelsmann Hoffenheim i mean i really recommend it it's almost I, I I don't like to speak in hyper hyperbole, but I would say it's similar to to what football is moving to as a whole. You know, like I said before, it's about being dynamic. It's about being fluid. And his his formation in and of itself is fluid. It it adapts to the situation. It's almost amorphous. So if you can get a chance to watch Julian Nagelsmann Hoffenheim specifically, I watched the uh, the performance against Bayern Munich, and I mean it was fantastic. It was Hoffenheim's first win over Bayern Munich in the league ever in, in the history of their club. So. Argus has been doing big things.
1: It's quite interesting that he beat Bayern Munich this season and he also drew with them. So he hasn't lost to Bayern Munich this season, which you can say... Um, you know, Arsene Wenger has lost twice to Bayern Munich this year. And again, Arsene Wenger's squad is supremely more talented than this Hoffenheim squad. So it will be fascinating to see where it goes next. But 100% coach of the year. is three-five-two is, I think, a beauty. It's sort of how the, the back three create a very good platform to play forward, obviously with Ruddy ahead. But then they have like six attackers at once. The two central midfielders start central, but they drift wide, which opens up space for direct flat balls into the striker's feet, a little layoff, and then they're playing forward. It's quite interesting that United could have done that yesterday, but they didn't. It's kind of like... I understand that Mourinho is an old-fashioned coach but that's one thing that he could bring to his game a trend in European football right now you think of Leipzig you think of Monaco teams that are quite direct um, not direct in the old sense of playing a target but direct in terms of passes that are hit on the ground the layoff is so key. Nagelsmann's Hoffenheim do it so well. Little forward pass, a layoff to one of the central midfielders that's drifted wide. He's already created an overload, probably with a wing-back in space, probably with a striker in space. It's just great football to watch. But yeah, definitely go and check them out. But anyway, that's the, the coach of the... Niniko and Dave, Coach of the Year, Rookie of the Year Award. So the Coach of the Year is a joint award to Allegri and Yardim at the moment, and Nagelsmann as the Rookie of the Year. Nagelsmann's getting his trophy straight away. But in terms of uh, whether we'll be sending it to Monaco or to Turin, still to be decided anyway let's move on to the questions the final part of the show we've been rocking for around 30 minutes so far so stay tuned to some more banging action first up let's go to Carlos Zaldavia's question on Twitter are Barcelona bad in the transfer market or is it just hard to find players to fit their system Nico what do you reckon
2: Uh, I think it's the transfer market and, and clubs' performance in the transfer market is one of those things that I think is viewed with uh, an extreme uh, recency bias or hindsight bias. And I think, you know, y- yeah, you can you can mock Andre Gomez and how he hasn't been great this season. Although he, he had a pretty perform- he had a pretty decent performance in the limited amount of time he was allowed in El Clasico. And we, we can't forget, you know, players like Luka Modric, um, even Zidane, they were flops in their first season in Spain. So give it a little bit of time. Um, but you know, Samuel M T T. <laughs> Excellent signing. They they he, they've found a player and they they they've they've they've, they've, uh, they've ripped the rest of Europe off, which I think you've you've said that as well, Dave. Like someone whoever bought Samuel and TT last summer for the the price yeah. that they bought him for was going to get a massive deal, and Barcelona yeah. have shown have shown uh that. So I think they're not necessarily bad in the transfer market. It's difficult to be really good in the transfer market, but. You know, give Barcelona some time. It's not like they're a failing club. They're still within the league. Yeah, they got knocked out of the Champions League, and they're not in the cup competition. But they have a decent chance of winning this league.
1: Yeah, I think it's, it is um, where they they are going. And you know, Andre Gomez was very, very good in midweek. He was very good in the Clasico. I think he's starting to show a little bit of form. And again, it's I think it, he's got the talent. Hundred percent has the talent. Has the physical attributes. Is quick. It's just that confidence. I think that's it. He's not a bad player. He honestly isn't a bad player. And I think it's just about the next coach getting the best out of Andre Gomez. But I'd also say, you know, they need to be pulling some more players up from the youth academy. That's a big thing with Barcelona that they haven't been doing recently that they need to go back to. The likes of Munier shouldn't have been let go. There's other players that shouldn't have been let go. You you think of, uh, of Sergio Roberto as the last main guy that's been brought through, and he's 25. You know, there is some work that needs to be done 100% of the time. Um, but it, it's an interesting one. Uh, Barca will be good next season. Again, whoever manager is going to go. It's really weird how there's no, been no real links. And we're seeing like Sam Paoli going to, back to Argentina. Um, who's going to be the manager? I don't know. That's going to be really exciting. Anyway, moving on to Kyle Parr's question on Twitter. That's at KJPR8 on Twitter. Who are Man United going to get to replace David De Gea in the summer? I could don a rumour maybe someone like Oblak or even
2: Donnarumma
1: Handanovic dude. Nico who would you pick out of those three keepers
2: who would you say Donnarumma Handanovic and who else Oblak you know the Atletico oh. Madrid um Handanovic is good but old so I'll go Oblak Yeah just cuz he's the
1: right age he's between Donnarumma's youth and Handanovic's age
2: yeah, I, I think he's a very good goalkeeper. And I, I don't think you guys are going to get down to Ruma. They're going to hold on to that as long as they can, unless you want to pay $100 million for mm. a goalkeeper. You know? Yeah,
1: I kind of agree. I think United have more things to spend on. What, what do you think about Sergio Romero? Maybe keep Sergio Romero as a number one. The um, thing is, it, it, it doesn't Pereira
2: really... It doesn't really matter who United get in some sense. Obviously, get a good goalkeeper. That's number one. Yeah. But at the same time, like Mourinho's system, yeah, they exactly. they never, they, no one's ever allowed to attack their centre-backs directly. And that's the issue. They're not going to be saving a ton. And if they are, it's going to be, you know, it, it's going to be limited. So get a good goalkeeper, but it's not the most pressing thing. You have an asset in David De Gea. Sell him.
1: Yeah, I, I kind of agree. I think that it, you need a shot stopper in this Mourinho side. Um, you don't necessarily need someone that's great with their feet. You know he will go long. That's absolutely fine. Um, so and yeah, to be quite honest, I reckon Sergio Romero would do a decent job. And if the, the club do think um, you know Joel Pereira is the ultimate guy, you know they've spent a lot of time educating him. He's been playing for Brazil and so forth. So maybe they could just play it like that. You know, save a bit of cash, keep Sergio Romero for a few years, transition one of these younger keepers in. Fair enough, that's fine for me. I think that's a good thing. Or even bring him back, Casper Schmeichel. Imagine that, Nico. Bringing back the great man's son because uh, you know arguably you want, you want a snake perfect. on your
2: plane Dave you want a snake on your plane you
1: see with Eric Baye, <laughs> not on the plane it doesn't matter Eric Bailly's just going to deck people any snakes Eric is just going to walk over deck him boot him out the window sorry Casper don't you mess about in this side Yeah, that's obviously Eric Bailly being captain in the, in the years to come after of his course under Herrera yeah uh, I was but- going to say
2: what about Herrera yeah
1: Schmeichel could be a very good option at Manchester United. Honestly, I think I think he's the perfect keeper. You know, playing in a he's a good shot stopper. He's quite good at coming off his line. Um, he's not great with the ball at his feet, but again, like we said, not needed. Be an interesting move. Again, you could probably. You
2: know, I disagree. I don't think I don't think Schmeichel no. would be a good player. I, I think um, you know something that I'm into is biomechanics, and there are a lot of players yeah. that you can see the you can see in the way that they run. If you like have. John Henderson. Uh, yeah, yeah, so it's the pronated arch versus the um inverted, I think, and Casper Schmeichel is not Casper and David Luiz specifically are two players that come to mind. Are players that don't have an athletic uh athletic ankle and I think that kinda holds him back and as he goes on in age that'll probably um degrade his form a little bit.
1: Let's throw some other names out there. What about Jordan Pickford?
2: Solid. Solid replacement it would be really good. Yeah, I think I think uh he'd be good. Hmm
1: the only problem with John Pickford and I do worry for any young united goalkeeper is marino may not be the best guy to deal with a younger goalkeeper because that's anderson? all about
2: the him. the benfica guy is s- anderson
1: yeah i quite like the obviously against Borussia dortmund was absolutely fantastic made so many wonderful saves but again I just don't trust Brazilian goalkeepers, I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I, it's just one of these things where Brazilian goalkeepers will have three Being seasons... Being prejudiced, Dave. Three seasons where they'll be absolutely insane. Remember Dida playing for yeah. um, <laughs> Milan? He had like four yeah. years or three years where he was unbelievable, like best keeper in the world by a mile. And then it just... Julio like,
2: Zezara at Inter. Yeah,
1: Julio Cesar. do you see what I mean? I think, I don't know what it is with Brazilian keepers, but they have peaks and they have they have very, very good peaks, but the peaks aren't that long. So whether it is getting someone... Um, like Edison for a small amount of time, for a th- well, three isn't exactly small, but it isn't like a long term solution. But maybe that's the right solution. You know, I said Handanovic. I do like Handanovic as a goalkeeper. Cracking at saving Penos. Absolutely wonderful at saving Penos. Good shot stopper.
2: Um, he's, a, he's, a really, he's a really talented goalkeeper. Handanovic is massively underrated.
1: So I'd argue maybe you know, if you can get Handanovic on the cheap, that could be a very, very good option for Manchester United. Having someone with experience. That's the thing with Mourinho. A young keeper, like I said before, maybe not trust. So, I'd probably go with experience over youth in this situation. So, that's maybe ruling out Jordan Pickford and ruling out, um, yeah, you know, Donna Rumour. So, maybe Diego Alves from Valencia as well, number keeper. Diego Lopez as well, previous Mourinho favourite. <laughs> There's a lot of keepers out there. I think that's the thing. There's a lot of keepers that I reckon you playing with the right defence will be like, you know, the, the sort of ability goes massively up. Mm-hmm. Do you see what I mean? So it's, I yeah. think it's the biggest issue for United. I think goals from midfielder, centre back is, is a big problem. Anyway, that was a long answer to the question. That was a, really I'm surprised that. you spent that
2: amount of time on, on a goalkeeping question. I just I,
1: I haven't really like I always sort of do a quick answer with that, like oh, Donnarumma, uh, yeah. or Andanovic. You know, if you look a little bit deeper and say, you know, what actually United need in the keeper, it isn't mm-hmm. what Man City need in the keeper. That's the beauty of football. Yeah,
2: football it's very different.
1: Is all about styles of play, and, and I
2: think especially now. The, the goal the the sorry not the goal but the the role of a goalkeeper is evolving massively. Like you said, there's a difference in what Manchester United need in a goalkeeper and what uh, Manchester City do. Manchester City, Liverpool, other sides can use their goalkeeper as an offensive entity um, in some sense. So, and Manchester United aren't going to do that. So, it's different.
1: Yeah, very very different. Anyway, let's move on to uh, Bax Tom's question uh, at Bax Tom ninety eight on Twitter. Top lad from uh, Brussels, I do believe, uh, Belgium lad. He's been sending me lots of fun from the, obviously, the United-Andalic game. Um, if you were to take one player from the other Manchester team that you support, who would it be and why? Uh, Tactics-wise, etc. Cheers, guys. Nico, who are you going to take and why?
2: I've always wanted um, Daley Blind. I think he reads the game extraordinarily well. I like his passing. Um, he could fit into a variety of roles that we need. Um, so, Daily Blind.
1: I, I think that's, again, that goes back to the contrast of styles between the two Manchester clubs. Like, Daley Blind doesn't suit... Uh, Mourinho's central midfield doesn't suit Mourinho's centre-back doesn't really suit Mourinho as a as a left-back not really athletic enough but you put him in a Pep Guardiola side he's your perfect guy whether he's playing as a DM whether he's playing as a centre-back um, I don't think he's, he's good enough to be a left-back for um, Pep Guardiola but either of those two positions that I mentioned or even no, an inverted left-back would be very good coming into yeah, central he, midfield he,
2: he, could, he could occupy a variety of roles and I think he could do very well I, I always admired his passing like you said doesn't fit into a Jose Mourinho Manchester United fit fit very well or fit the idea of a Luvian Health system uh, very well at United. What about you? What, what uh, Manchester City player do you would you want to see at your club? It's
1: simple. It's not even worth asking me about Kevin that. Kevin De Bruyne KDB innit? it KDB. <laughs> <laughs> Just a bit of a you know before he moved to Manchester, I used to like KDB. Now obviously <laughs> I don't like him, but no, know technically fantastic and and you know kind of the style of football I like playing on the counter attack. KDB is perfect, you know, drifting number 10. Um, very, very good at crossing. We all know his strengths are, you know, but the thing that I don't think he does enough for City is shoot. He's really, really good at hitting a shot from outside the area. You think of the goal he scored in the German Cup final against Borussia Dortmund. A lovely knockdown from Bastos on the half volley, cracked it in from like 30 yards. Something that he doesn't do enough for City is shoot. He had that shot against United, didn't he? Uh, that, was that was a really, that was a, was a really good shot. was just past the post. But he I think, think it was think that, just
2: not, past the post. I yeah. think that's
1: a problem with uh, Pep's, Pep Guardiola's system can that be a really good swap should we just do that KDB for Daily Blind yeah
2: I don't think that would be even you throw Henrikh Mkhitaryan in there and uh, I'll think about it but. yeah
1: deal <laughs> deal done we'll, we'll speak to the managers later on today anyway moving Sounds to, good. <laughs> to the Manchester United <laughs> troopers question um, so we've got f- three questions so we're gonna have to be quick fire here why is Belotti rated higher than Zeko who has more goals this season in Syria Nico? Um,
2: Belotti's like I I think he creates his own chances that's something that I've spoken to before is that strikers that can create their own space and create their own chances are better than a Jekko type striker that he feeds off very good service but if you eliminate the service you eliminate the striker
1: I think the really interesting thing with Bellotti as well is how good he is with his head. He's got more goals yeah. uh, from head this season ten, in fact. Which if you, I think if you go back over the last few seasons, would beat like the last three years, which is really weird. That not many headed goals have been scored in the last few seasons in European football, but Bellotti seems to be banging them in with his head. He's kind of you know. The, the all whenever I see the you know the, the goals that he scores, it all seems to be like from crosses or from through balls, but very very good finishes and always using the right method, whether it's ahead a head of you know a volley or whatever. It always just seems right, very you know quite good a two-footed striker in a way so whoever picks him up going to be fantastic and puts a good shift in as well I think he averages about three tackles per game so would work for a, a pressing side but would also do a good job for uh, Mourinho's side uh, so could be quite interesting the next part of uh, Manchester United Troopers question or Man United Trooper on Twitter uh, can, can Bernardo Silva's one-footedness um, limit him like it limited Mares this season uh one thing before i ask you nico I, you know one footness isn't too bad you think of what Ian robin's done his whole career but nico do you think it can limit him and it, how would you say he's like mares i kind of understand the comparison because they are both our playmakers that start on the right hand side that come inside but i'd say bernardo silva has a hell of a lot more to his game than mares
2: i would yeah i would completely agree with that i think you can play silva wide and you can also play him centrally um so I think he's a little bit more versatile than than Mara's You know, one fitness, one footedness is never ideal, I guess. But I, I think he's he's perfectly fine in that aspect. He's it's not necessarily something that's going to hold him back massively. Um, as much as it did Marez. Do
1: you think as well with because you know some players have a really good one foot. You know, for example, like we're saying, Bernardo Silva has a really good left foot. Do you think that people maybe get a little bit pushed back by because they've got one really good foot, they assume the other foot's not very good?
2: Yeah, I think you know. Obviously, when you have the comparison right next to him, um, the right foot <laughs> in comparison to the left foot, it, yeah. it can look uh, it can look bad. Um, but it's one of those things. Like David Silva, it, David Silva is extremely left footed, right? Um, yeah. The other Silva, um, and, and sometimes that that can actually be targeted. I think that was something that was targeted at the at the, at the other end. Sorry, of uh, last season is that a lot of people notice which way he liked to turn, which way he did this, which way he did that. Um, they could recognize his movements just through video. Um, so yeah, it could hold some people back in specific situations, but I think ultimately you have the quality you'll be able to shine through.
1: Yeah, so cr- you know, cracking second question from at Man United Trooper. Thanks for sending that in. It you know it leads to a very interesting debate on one footedness and whether Bernardo Silva is the better version of Mares, I'd say hundred percent he is. And if United sign him, I'm going to be so happy. Again, uh, I was talking to Nico before saying that I picked out William Carvalho and Bernardo Silva before he did, and he got a little bit upset. Said that the Champions League tweeted him or something. So you know whatever, go and follow him on Twitter at Nico underscore O because he you know sometimes he needs a bit of help. Anyway, talking about Nico, what's your favorite? Who's your favorite player of all time?
2: That's a difficult one. I was thinking about this one when I saw it a while ago. Um, the player that really got me to start watching Manchester City was Yaya Touré. Um, obviously, he's dropped off he in recent fast. years, but I think the season that he scored 20 goals from defensive that midfield. Was-
1: ridiculous
2: probably one of the best mid central midfield performances and players um sort of a robbery not to to be nominated i guess in the top three but he was team of the year for a couple years in a row and the only african candidate for a while there so um maybe yaya toure is in there right now i think he also asked of the active players tiago alcantara is someone that i've that i've admired for a while and like i mentioned you know he he was more of a, a mobile player in that central midfield area not only making great passes but also taking on players centrally um he's evolved his game because he was out for a year with a back injury and he's in, he's just made his passing game absolutely incredible so Thiago Alcantara has to be I think my favorite current player
1: fair I'm just trying to think about my favorite player of all time I used to love strikers I love Gabriel Batistuta that's me. the
2: thing though that's the thing though Dave is that no one asked you yeah, you um, see, I'm
1: just going to butt yeah. in here because it's the, uh, you know, at the moment, currently, <laughs> the stat mandate for Podcast. you know. We're not on the front three anymore, on Nico. I, I made the rules. It's a, a dictatorship over here. I loved how I managed to ask you your favourite question so you couldn't respond to my comments on Bernardo Silva and William Carvalho. But yeah, no, I, I do like uh, Bernardo Silva. I like a lot of the Monaco players. I, Mbappe just is so fresh at the moment and, and just such a joy to Thomas,
2: watch. Thomas Lamar is the best player at all, as, yeah. is my favourite player. I, I, like, my I like Thomas player. Lamar,
1: but I think I like Mbappe and uh, S- Silva. And you like Bakayoko? Bigno. I do like Bakayoko, but I think he's really... Yeah. What annoys me about Bakayoko is not him, but it's everyone's perception on Bakayoko. It's such a lazy perception on Bakayoko. Because well, oh, he's, he's a defensive midfielder. He's just a defensive yeah. midfielder. You know, right. he's not. You know, he is, like you're saying... Not, not exactly a yoyotori, but he's more of a link man than a defensive yeah. midfielder. You know, Fabinho. Something that like I said, I said at the start of the season, Fabinho is the guy that's holding midfield, and it took like half a season for people to be like, "Oh yeah." And it's just one of these things. Like, Jesus Christ, guys, what's going on?
2: That's the special set man Dave voice. Um, you oh, guys are all treated to that. God. My stressed
1: voice when I'm under pressure.
2: Anyway, moving on to uh,
1: Sachkan's question. That's at Sachkan on Twitter. Uh, Balotti or Morata for United with Griezmann at ten. Um, Nico, let's get your opinion on this.
2: Balotti or Morata for United with Griezmann at ten. So that's we've uh, signed Griezmann and we're looking. for I think, a think if you're gonna, if you're gonna, um, it was uh, it was actually Mourinho that brought Morata through to Real Madrid when he was there. Mm-hmm. I think from the youth academy. So Morata, easy.
1: You see. I'd argue, Antoine Griezmann, Anthony Martial, or
2: Marcus Rashford, whichever one. I think tactics. You guys aren't Griezmann getting Griezmann, so I don't know why that's even a question. Excuse me. Griezmann's not leaving. You, I you to the podcast yesterday because I said Griezmann would be absolutely sick
1: of Bayern Munich with Lewandowski. That's what I'd like to watch. But anyway, that's not being a United fan. That's being a football fan. Griezmann <laughs> with um, what's he called? Forgotten the dude's name. This is the first mistake of the podcast on 51 minutes. I'm going to keep this in. <laughs> Because I'm going to focus now. Lewandowski, that's what we're looking for. So there Lewandowski, go. Griezmann, right? Imagine out the back. Bayern Munich is sitting deep as they will do next season under Carlo Ancelotti, and then mm-hmm. two banks of four, and then Antoine Griezmann off Lewandowski. Like honestly, that's Champions League winning.
2: That'd also. be pretty sick. Yeah. That's yeah. over.
1: Like Thiago uh, deeper midfield with um, Vidal deep in midfield.
2: Like you're not breaking that team down. Maybe you. Why do you? Why do you want to misutilise Thiago? Put him in a possession system. Let him. Yeah, this is the thing. Let, him, let him flap uh, his wings. Possession based players. What's
1: wrong with <laughs> aggressive, strong central midfielders? I'm turning, I'm turning to like. You, got, I'm you old. Dave, I'm you can tell.
2: You can tell. Dave has an English passport. That's all I'm saying.
1: Um, excuse me. My teams will be tactically far more diverse than your teams. <laughs> <laughs> okay. My teams would be German. Your teams would just be beautiful. Bielsa, Boring. Sorry. Yeah, boring. No, not for me, mate. There's the pragmatic counter-attack there, buddy? <coughs> anyway, second question in from uh, Sachan. Dembele or Herrera? So he means Musa Dembele or Ander Herrera, who's the most complete midfielder in the Premier League? Nico, will take your answer first and then we'll take my correct answer second. Go for it.
2: <laughs> uh, Moussa Dembele.
1: Um, just because y- you think?
2: Or is he's, a, he's very complete. He's, uh, he holds this possession in those central areas for Tottenham. I think that's, that's part of the thing that Pochettino has done so well is that he's evolved this side on from being so dependent on Moussa Dembele. But of course, in order for a side to be dependent on a player, they have to be excellent. And he was, he holds that central midfield area very well. He can make a tackle. His passing is pretty good. Um, he, he's intelligent. He makes the right passing decisions. Um, I think there's a new metric coming out sort of um now by stats Bomb, which is xg chain which is like you know those players that you can like paul pogba is very highly rated on, on xg chain because he makes he, he's a, he's essentially the architect he makes the pass that that goes to the assist it's like the the hockey assist he does things that um put players in in the correct situation in order, in order for them to to make the best decision um so i think moussa dembele uh is probably one of the most complete players in in the premier league i don't know if like you would classify him as the most complete, but uh, definitely more than Ander Herrera. see so you say that, Nico, but
1: I used to work for a site called squawker.com that have got a comparison matrix, and me just comparing Under Herrera versus Musa Dembele in uh, stats per 90 minutes. <laughs> Herrera, more c- uh, successful passes, create more chances... And right, more but we don't know the
2: right, but we don't know the quality of those passes. So Musa de Dembele could be making more difficult yeah, passes, don't, but don't just because to, you me you, me you're, you're just talking about well, statistics, that's it. right? Okay, no, right. We're if, <laughs> right. We're gonna
1: add total forward passes. Let's see if we, let's see. Oh, the Herrera wins again, sorry, Nico. <laughs> access denied. the Herrera, the most complete midfielder in the Premier League. I was about right, to say are five league, and I was again. like, nope, wait a minute.
2: But then you look at the tactical implications of that and what the majority of the time uh, Spurs are playing against low blocks whereas Manchester United Whoa, are United usually play playing? Low
1: blocks. Every single time we play at home, that's why we draw so much. <laughs> bring, Mourinho tactically doesn't know what to do against low blocks. That's his problem.
2: He's got to stretch the, the, the uh, defensive block horizontally, Dave. Come on. No,
1: no. you used to get Maron Fellini on ASAP. That's his strategy. <laughs> <laughs> the longer Fellaini's on the pitch the more chance we have of winning it's simple as that <laughs> They only tried a 3-3-4 three, a three, three, once and it worked and I don't know why he's not trying it again against it worked two. against Middlesbrough we were 1-0 we down and we won 2-1 honestly Congrats. they just couldn't you handle it
2: Mid- Dave, Dave you you beat Middlesbrough by a goal
1: yeah but Middlesbrough That's... are a very good defensive team you can't argue mm-hmm. that they're not a good defensive team so it was quite interesting That's... that 3-3-4 that three, three, did work but Marino just hasn't used it again. Anyway, let's move on to some other questions. Ispal, that's at ispal on Twitter. How many goals would Rashford score in Monaco's team this season? Nico, give me a number.
2: I don't know if I can give you a number. How many is Mbappé scored? I Zimbabwe want score. a number. How many has Mbappé scored, sorry?
1: Uh, I think 24.
2: For i think point. it'd be similar but mbappe is running very hot because he has a he, he, he's running hot because he, his conversion rate is off the charts which is a little unsustainable but at the same time you know he's doing very well to score those goals and i think that speaks to his quality sorry the um, police
1: are coming for me <laughs> uh
2: it, it speaks to his quality so um I, I think it'd be similar probably wouldn't be as much because mbappe is a little bit more complete but Rashford's a very good player, he'd fit that system very well. Mm,
1: I'd agree. I'd say Mbappe's slightly more complete, I think it's slightly a little bit better, but only small margins and the development of Marcus Rashford's been very, very good in recent weeks. I'd say, so Mbappe's got 23 goals this season, I'd say Rashford would probably score 20 goals, so it is those small margins, um, but they are two absolutely brilliant young players. Anyway, moving on to Luke Daw's question, that's at Black Shadow... 179, probably my favourite Twitter handle. Go and follow him just because he's got a great handle. Um, the question that he asked so was a little bit confusing. Assuming Liverpool get into the top four, how do you think they'll do against top teams given their top seven record? I think he means next season. So I think he means if Liverpool get into the top four this season, how do you think they'll do against top teams next season? Nico?
2: Um, as I've written about before, I don't think, and as, I, I, as I'll continue to write about, I don't think uh, Klopp's. I don't think Klopp's approach to teams who play a low block and, you know, lower fidelity teams that are going to sit behind the ball is good enough. He sort of throws the kitchen sink at it and tries to stretch the defensive block horizontally by just putting players forward instead of occupying the half spaces a little bit better. Um, and then they look to Emory Chan, Jordan Henderson for chance creation from the central areas and they'll lose it. And then they get counted on pretty easily. Um So... You know, I, I don't think his offensive strategy is good enough. So if they if they don't fall out of the top four, which I actually think they will at this point, because Manchester United are playing extremely well, Manchester City will probably continue to get results to be in the top four, and Liverpool have a difficult run in in their eyes because they'll be playing teams that they don't want to play against. Um, if they do get in the top four, however, I, I think they'll they'll do well against the big sides because they have a very 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 concentrated and good approach to games uh, against the likes of a Manchester City, a United teams that they they can not necessarily have the onus to create. Um, but you know, I, I, I think uh, Jurgen Klopp needs to evolve his style on the ball.
1: So you think they'll do well against the top seven teams next season? Considering the yeah, style, yeah, they'll, or they'll do continue
2: they'll do badly. They'll, They'll continue to do well against the top seven sides because that's Jurgen Klopp's M.O. Um, yeah, but I think, you know, they won't do well against the, the lower half.
1: The problem with that, though, you we're kind of seeing the trend because of Mourinho is massively a defensive manager. We're kind of seeing the trend in these bigger games. They are getting a little bit more defensive. And if that kind of happens, is that going to be an issue for Liverpool next season? If teams are copying how United are playing against them or they're copying how Sam Allardyce is setting up Crystal Palace against them, could be a little bit of an issue, but I do kind of expect it is. Is he is good at beating these bigger sides? He is good at the the pressing situations and fighting there. So I imagine his uh, you know his record is still going to be good. I think there is there's definitely some more signings that we need to make. They need to spend some money this summer and getting some decent centre backs. I think they've got some good raw materials going forward, um, maybe in central midfield, but definitely the back two centre backs. Are just come on, Dejan Lovren, sign him on a new deal. Sorry, Dejan just, Lovren is
2: just, not is not that bad.
1: I just don't think he's good, though. You know what I mean? I don't, I think if you want to get into the top four and you but, want to consistently okay, so that, be so there, you've got to have a consistent center half And it's like, so so, no consistency. So, that, off. so the
2: problem here, Dave, and you know, as well as I know, what is the thing that Manchester United, Manchester United do best being one of the best defensive teams, you know, in Europe is that they don't let anyone pull their center backs out of position, which mm-hmm. is one and attack their center backs directly. They don't allow anyone to have that central, um, chance creation because that's what they do very well. That's how their system works. Liverpool and Manchester City are very similar to that extent in in the terms that their defensive tactics are counter-pressing and being aggressive in their defensive tactics. So they're very good at limiting shots. They have very good shot suppression. But when those shots do come through, it's because their form of shot suppression, which is pressing, has failed, which allows teams like Palace, to attack their centre-backs directly. And no matter who you buy, you can spend $100 million on some of the best centre-backs in the world. You might get slightly better improvement. But if you're consistently allowing, or your system is consistently allowing, teams to attack your centre-backs directly, you're going to continue to concede goals no matter what. You can get the best centre-backs in the world. It's not going to make a difference.
1: So is that not... uh, so So one, Yeah, I can kind of agree, it is a systematic issue. But I definitely think that... You know, if you could get a centre-back that was able to cover, that was able to be moulded into this player that can deal with counter-attacking situations. I think it's all about composure. I think playing in the system that City play in and the system that Liverpool play in, it is that composure. You know, you're seeing Vincent Company step back into that City team, instantly looks absolutely fine. Ostermen, they mm-hmm. still looked a little bit dodged, but you see the composure, and I feel that Liverpool needs someone like that. Like United, they need somebody that's composed. Getting someone like Laporte from Bilbao would be perfect for... Uh, Jurgen Klopp in terms of his ability to read but also control the tempo I think it's not just for Liverpool to stop conceding goals in these ways that we're consistently seeing, it's frequently the same thing every time. Like you say, in counter attack and they'll concede a goal. They need to one, hold the ball better and not play those poor passes into midfield or not have their teammates in a situation there. But also, I think it is that composure when they're defending a counter attack. We see how good Sergio Ramos is at stepping out and dealing with a counter attack. Steps out the three narrow behind him if it is a three, or he just steps awesome. out and wins the ball. I think it's it's an interesting thing, but I don't think I don't think Lovren. You know, we both we're in agreement that Lovren isn't good enough defensively on the counter attack, right? So there needs Uh, to be a replacement
2: there. I I agree to some extent, but I don't think he's that bad. But also, you know, speaking to their uh, offensive efficacy, like you said, you know, they need to be better on the ball, but also something that I've written, um, you know, Liverpool don't stretch those teams, the low block vertically enough. And that's what you want to do. And that's how you do that is going, having a goalkeeper that can play with his feet and can play out the back and drawing that opposition all the way back. Liverpool never do that. Just because you have possession with your center backs doesn't mean that you're stretching the opposition vertically. They don't stretch the opposition vertically enough.
1: Yeah, I think so. It's, it's a it's a fair point. I think it would be, I don't, I don't, you know, not 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 nothing against Lovren, but I don't think he's the right guy for this job, and I don't think Matip is either. I think there is two guys there that Liverpool just need to, to to sign to to help them build, you know, help them defeat these teams that sit a bit deeper. Again, as we mentioned, they're good against the top seven, but it is it is those weaker teams that they need to be able to deal with one the counterattack, attack, but also deal with breaking them down. I think it is a signing from deep and maybe even a defensive midfielder. You know, you can't really rely on Lucas Leiva for breaking teams down. We've seen that they can't even break down the likes of Wolves, let alone, you know, the the more tactically set up teams. Anyway, let's move on from that discussion to um, LFC commentary. That's at LFC underscore comments on Twitter. What's the first Premier League match you attended? And will the first one be always special? Nico?
2: Uh, I actually attended my first Premier League match Recently, when I was visiting England uh, at the New Year, um, thanks to Lawrence McKenna, he got, he got me some tickets to uh, Swansea Crystal Palace again, at Crystal Palace. It was, uh, it was pretty fun. It was good.
1: Sweet. I literally can't remember my first Premier League game. I can only remember <laughs> the first game, which was Fiorentina in the uh, Champions League. Gabriel Bataschuta scored a wonder goal and so did Paul Scholes. Like smashed uh-huh. from the edge of the area. But I can't remember the first Premier League game. Oh, That's going to be annoying. Maybe <laughs> Newcastle? I don't know. Yeah, it was Fiorentina in the Champions League, and it was yes, very special, very, very special. Right, let's move on to some Manchester City questions to finish off today. Uh, first up, the Pack Mouse, uh, you know, a friend of the show at Pack Mouse. Assuming both uh, qualify, which Manchester club do you think will fare better in the Champions League next season? Nico
2: depends on their summer, but I think Manchester City would probably do better. See, so i United?
1: United. Will have a probably have a weaker squad and won't be as. Are United weak. even going to make it? Dave? Excuse me.
2: We've, he said assuming both qualify. Actually.
1: We've, we, we're, gonna qualify. You know, we're going to qualify. We're going to Stockholm. Follow, 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 because United are going to Stockholm. Have you not heard the song yet?
2: I have, I have not heard it that song. It pretty much song. means
1: we've, we've won it, right? You know, that much passion, that much pumped up energy. But in terms of um, Mourinho in the Champions League, we've shown that he can take a pretty average team and get far. So for me, I, for that, I think because Pep Guardiola still, I don't think next season will be as pragmatic as he should be at his mm-hmm. old age. You know, I'm i twi- I'm nearly i twi- I'm twenty-seven, right? I'm well, nearly twenty-seven. I'm, I'm already pragmatic. I've already <laughs> <Are> realised. <you? laughs> I've already realised on Football Manager. Yeah, you, you smash teams at home, playing some nice football, but away from home, in the bigger games, you you defend, you sit with the Julian the, the Julian,
2: Ag- the Julian Agsman of, of football media, David O'Brien. Exactly.
1: But anyway, yeah. So um, I reckon United will get further just because of Mourinho's style and pragmatism, and I think that's where European football is going towards um, a more counter-attacking base for the winners for the next maybe two seasons, and then it will probably cycle back to possession based for the moment I reckon counter is on right some questions for you Nico these are just going to be for you I'm not going to give any input so at Silver KDB no, underscore God. MUFC should City look for a Dzeko type striker in the summer feels too many times this season we've needed another option going forward
2: no I think um, you know unfortunately Gabriel Jesus came in and got injured immediately I think he's a better option for um, for Guardiola's system, considering he's, you know, he's better at coming deep and receiving those passes, that's something that he wasn't very good at in the Manchester derby. The Manchester derby um, was receiving those passes and making something out of it, as opposed to you know, immediately losing the ball because of a bad touch. Um, so you know, I don't really think we need a Jacko option. I think if anything, we, we need more of a Gabriel Jesus a, um, or maybe even like a Dries Mertens has been fantastic at a false nine role this season. Um, so player like them.
0: Yeah.
1: Kind of like you need a you need a bit of an in- impact sub, sort of, and I think Gabriel Jesus would be the perfect guy because he could you know switch in and switch out, interchange with uh, Sane and Sterling. So I think City are quite again it is Guardiola's style, a Zeco type forward. Even though I said I wasn't going to answer, I've kind of dropped here, but I apologise. <laughs> a Zeco style forward doesn't suit Guardiola and never will do. You know he had the best Zeco style football for, forward in world football uh, in Zlatan Ibrahimovic at Barcelona, and unfortunately that season showed that pragmatism will always beat. Good passing football. <laughs> Unfortunately, Nico with uh, Inter Milan Always. in the Champions League—that is it's defined, dude. mate. It's defined. You should probably go back Brilliant. and watch videos of Mourinho's Inter Milan because they were beautiful. <laughs> uh, but the, the last two questions. First up, Silver KDB underscore MUFC Second question: uh, Do you think we should keep Otamendi next season or look for another centre back? Otamendi's looked very assured next uh, company in recent weeks. Nico
2: yeah keep him I think he's aggressive in the tackle that's what we need we, you need to build that relationship between two center backs which one is sort of calm and collected reads the situation uh, like a John Stones kind of person and then one's aggressive and makes the decision and makes uh, an attacker go a certain way and that's on a Mendy so yeah I think we should keep him
1: fair and company next season
2: mm, phase him out getting old too oh, old
1: pff, I'd take him at United it is disgusting. Anyway, last question coming in from Screen Tank. That's at Screen Tank on Twitter. Would Guardiola fit Manchester United, Nico? I'm going to leave that with you
2: um, Yeah, I think they Honestly, you know, both teams are very malleable. Um, if Mourinho took the City job and Guardiola took the United job, they'd do interesting things with those squads. Um, as to who would fit better, you know, that remains to be seen. But I think Guardiola could do something pretty special with the players that Manchester United have.
1: I kind of think as well, it's kind of like the the allure of both managers. I think both managers are great options for both sides, and you know because City got Guardiola, United would go for Mourinho. I would have probably preferred to have Guardiola at the start of the season ahead of Mourinho. But if City have got Mourinho, God got Guardiola, Mourinho's the only guy you're going to get there. I like pragmatic football, but I also uh, can you know respect what Guardiola is doing at Manchester City. I prefer the counter attack; that's what I like to see. But there's two ways to skin a chicken, as they say, or pluck a chicken. <laughs> On that note, we've plucked too many chickens today and Nico is starting to get fed up with the sound of my voice. So I just want to thank him again for joining me on the podcast. This has been a bumper podcast. It's over an hour. This is the first time ever on the Statman Day Football Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Make sure to write those reviews to make Nico happy and sleep well at night. Nico, is there anything you want to plug? Any Twitter accounts? Anything in the world you want to say before we end this wonderful show?
2: Uh, just go to my Twitter at Nico underscore O Morales follow me if you're not uh, check out my articles if you haven't already I don't have I have a lot of Manchester United followers I don't have very many Manchester City followers which is weird because I'm a Manchester City fan so come and follow me if you're a Manchester City fan please nah
1: (laughs) yeah make sure you go follow Nico whatever whatever team you support whether it is you know at Bayern Munich Barcelona it's always interesting to read articles and whatever and Yeah, check out his tweets. But anyway, that's been that for the Statman Dave Football Podcast for this week. Episode 55, over and out. 55 episodes, that's incredible. I'm getting old. Bye.